I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about Nephilim, or alien hybrids, or ancient beings, or gods, or they might be giants. They might be giants, they might be giants, they might be brains, they might be washed, they might be doctors, washed like a Whatever you want to call them, let's talk about the times where we have seemingly uncovered skeletons we can't quite explain. But as always, first up we have shoutouts. Manning Jeff, Megan Cat, Martin Lash, Kira, Maggie, hi Maggie, Laura O, hi Laura O, sorry about the whole Google Hangouts thing, that sucked. Anthony Todd and Elijah Hendricks with Jamie. Dan, Angie, Matt, Laura, Chuck, Travis, Sarah, Amber, David, Nanashi, Michaela, Heidi, Rachel, Lindsay, Juliana, Edgar, Sarah, J. Mark, Carolyn, Jim, Jade, Carolyn, Pablo, Laura, Shani, John Linnell, John Flansburg, Danny Weinkoff, Dan Miller, Marty Beller, Jeff Dill, Laura, Daniel, Laura, and Autumn. Welcome to the cool kids. That's right. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac if you want to support the show. Please help support the show because this specific episode cost me $40 to investigate. Just this episode alone, $40. And I'll get to it later as why that cost me 40 bucks. But next we have paranormal news. Now, this first one isn't really paranormal, although it kind of could be, depending on, you know, what you want to do with it. But the stolen heart of French Queen Consort Anne of Brittany has been found. French police have recovered a solid gold casket containing the heart of one of Brittany's most famous heroines, stolen from a Nantes museum last week. It's a 16th century relic belonging to Duchess Anne, and it was taken along with some other items, and they were afraid that it was going to be melted for its value in gold, because like I said, it's a solid gold caskety thing surrounding a human heart. But... Police arrested two men on Saturday who led them to the buried but safe hall near the western city of Saint-Nazaire, I'm assuming. So, if you were in the market for a gold reliquy with a 500-gram heart-shaped box and inscription in Old French with a human heart in it, well, it's been taken off the market and it's brought back to the old museum. Sorry, everybody. Next up, we have one. I'm calling it paranormal news, even though this event occurred on January 24th. So it's almost a year old, but I didn't hear about it, and I'm sure you didn't hear about it, hopefully. I didn't hear about it till just recently, and this one comes directly from MUFON, which, if you don't know what MUFON is, you've really got to listen to all the episodes. It's, you know, talked about a lot. Anyhow, a Montana witness near Great Falls reported that that a contact on the Mal- Malmstrom, Malmstrom? Malmstrom Air Force Base described a 10-minute power outage after a circular-shaped object, over a half-acre in size, hovered over the base. The event again occurred on January 24, 2018. So, 
in case you didn't grasp from that headline, the Air Force Base had a 10-minute power outage after a circular-shaped object, which was over a half acre in size, hovered over the base. And I'm sure many of you guys actually know this isn't the first time that a UFO has affected an Air Force Base. In fact, there's been a couple of times where they seemingly have, where the UFOs, that is, have seemingly shut down nuclear silos. But I don't want to get too much into that because that might be, hint it probably is, a future episode. Those instances between UFOs and Air Force bases or nuclear silos or just UFOs versus the Army are some of the most incredible stories that seem to be true. From all I can find, it seems to be true. Now, in case you're thinking, oh, well, it's probably just a solar flare or something like that. Well, they ruled out astronomical or weather anomalies. So, they don't know what it was. From what someone was reporting out of that base, the object was black in color with no structural features. The object size was larger than 300 feet. No exterior lights, no emissions. The object was hovering at less than 500 feet in altitude. The object was over one mile away from the witness. No landing was observed. So that one is terrifying, yet really cool. I really hope that the UFOs know what they're doing when they shut down our Air Force bases or shut down our nuclear silos. They seem to be way more intelligent than us, so uh, I'm, I think they do. I think they know what they're doing. It doesn't seem to be malevolent. They could have just wiped us out if they wanted to, so who knows? All right, with that, let's get right into tonight's story. The first tale... Hmm, how do I begin? Well, the first tale is so fantastical that it's hard to believe, but something strange was found in Wisconsin in 1897 and again in 1912. Now, I will say there is a lot of BS and speculation about what was found, but after sifting through the BS, and it was a lot of sifting, and using only verifiable sources, and that cut down a lot of websites, let me tell you, I think I have an idea of what was found. But before I get into it, I mean, I'm just saying I think. I can't 100% say this is what was found because I wasn't there and there's no evidence left. But I think this is what was found. But before I get into it, let me say like most things I investigate, the amount of pure BS that is instantly debunkable is astounding. Site after site keeps regurgitating the same crap and it gets repeated so much that the names, dates, people, things are made up or misspelled on one site, then it continues made up or misspelled like dominoes until it's quote-unquote fact. I love it when people listen to one episode, then tell me all I do is Google, and that's it. And that's not research. They're like, oh, you call it research. I can Google too. Well, guess what? I do deep dives into this stuff. And when I ask them to disprove anything I've debunked, they can't. Now, I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I'm far from it. And I admit when I say something wrong or mispronounce something. But please know, I have never just read you a non-researched story off of some website. And the reason I'm saying that, because sadly, so many other podcasts do this, and that's all they do. And that's how this stuff becomes quote-unquote real when it's easily, and I mean easily, debunkable. Like this story I'm about to tell you, there are a bunch of websites that say DNA testing was done on the skeletons in 1912. No. Or 
There are people who witnessed these skeletons being, being found both times that are still around. Well, spoiler, the stories I'm about to tell you take place in 1897 and 1912. Now, I'm not saying someone can't be alive from 1912, but no, not the night, but no, not the 1897 dig. And even the 1912 dig, they weren't involved in the dig because those that were involved at the very earliest were college students, but most of them were accredited archaeologists. So no, sorry, they aren't around anymore either. I wish they were. I would love to talk to somebody who was actually here when whatever it was found was found. I'm going to break my little rule about not reading from a BS website for just one second because I want you to hear this BS that was so easily debunkable. But this one website, I won't name because it's crap, says this is taken directly from the New York Times article from 1912. Quote, The skeletons they found tend to have a double row of teeth. Six fingers, six toes, and like humans, came in different races. The teeth in the front of the jar are regular molars. No. None of that, or end quote, sorry. None of that was from the New York Times article from 1912. Do you know how I know? Because I went to the archives, paid the money, and read what was written. Yeah, so much BS. Okay, with that out of the way, let's jump in to exactly what the New York Times article from December 20th, 1897, the first incident, what it said. New York Times, December 20th, 1897, Wisconsin Mound Opened. Skeleton found, skeleton? Skeleton found of a man over nine feet high with enormous skull. Maple Creek, Wisconsin, December 19th. One of the three recently discovered mounds in this town has been opened. Now let me pause right there. When they, What they mean by the mounds, there are a lot of Native American mounds all around Wisconsin. They figured out pretty early on that these mounds were Indian burial sites or Native American burial sites. Okay, back to the story. In the mound was found the skeleton of a man of gigantic size. The bones measured from head to, from head to foot over nine feet and were in a fair state of preservation. The skull was as large as a half-bushel measure. Some finely tempered rods of copper and other relics were lying near the bones. The mound from which these relics were taken is 10 feet high and 30 feet long, and varies from 6 to 8 feet in width. The two mounds of lesser size will be excavated soon. That's the news article. You don't need to add the double row of teeth, the six fingers, the six toes, none of that. The news article itself is incredible. They found a skeleton of gigantic size, measured from head to foot over nine feet tall. So already I don't know what to think. Instantly, when I was doing this research, questions started bombarding in my brain. What happened to these bones? Where are the photos? How come there isn't some detailed report on the examination of the skeletons and medical diagrams of the skull? Who covered it up? Why didn't it go to the school? And I'll get to that in a little bit. It should have gone to the school. Now, depending on where you get your information, some BS sites say that the next excavation was in 1911. Okay, it is true that in 1911, they excavated one more of these mounds. They did find skeletons, but 
there wasn't anything odd about them. Here's the first tale from 1911 from the local paper itself. Find Indian relics near Lake Delavan. 14 are unearthed beneath Knoll where Chicagoans camp. Lake Delavan, Wisconsin. Out of a knoll that for years has formed the playground of thousands of Chicago people during the summer months, Philip Brothers, owners of Lake Lawn Farm, have just dug 14 human skeletons and the probability is that there's still others' finds will be unearthed. For years it has been suspected that the big mound on which several Chicago church choirs have been accustomed to camp, one after another, in different years, contained rich Indian relics, but no one seemed to make a move towards exploration. As the result of an argument as to what was hidden in the mound, the owners of the place dug down eight feet and raked out skeletons, which are probably the largest specimen of the red race found in southern Wisconsin. Two of the skeletons were found in a sitting posture. All were buried in a stone-floored and walled pit, over which a solid clay slab had been placed. The skeletons have been preserved intact and will go to the State Museum at Madison. Walworth County has a very large number of the mounds, some of them having been explored with the result that only a few relics, most of them crude weapons, were found. So yes, this time they did find Native Americans. It was a Native American burial site, and it does say probably the largest specimens of the red race found in southern Wisconsin, but they don't mean the largest skeletons found. They mean they dug a hole and instantly started pulling out skeletons left and right. The most, the largest amount, the largest specimens. That's all it meant. But people have taken those words and changed it to that they found more giants the next year, that they found more giants in 1911. The second time they dug up a mound, they found more giants. Well, no. Now I will say that both mounds were seemingly identical. Both were burial sites with objects placed by the body and like the first mound, the remains found in this mound, I have no idea what happened to them. It says right in the thing that they're going to go to the State Museum at Madison. Now, the State Museum at Madison does have some Native American artifacts. I can't find anything to say that they have a bunch of skeletons from a mound in Lake Delavan, Wisconsin. Okay, so that was 1911. Let's continue on to 1912. And again, let's take it from a newspaper itself. Just for the records here, this is now the third one, I believe, that I have searched through newspapers for. Madison, Wisconsin, May 3rd. The discovery of several skeletons of human beings while excavating a mound at Lake Delavan indicates that there is a heretofore unknown race of men once inhabited southern Wisconsin. Let me pause right here to say if I am mispronouncing Lake Delavan, I apologize. Focus on the giants. Okay, back to the story. Information of the discovery was brought to Madison today by Maurice Morisset. Maurice Morisset, you got the coolest name, and he's of Delavan, who came here to attend a meeting of the Republican State Central Committee. Curator Charles E. Brown, or Charlie Brown, I suppose, of the State Historical Museum will investigate the discoveries within a few days. Upon opening one large mound at Lake Lawn Farm, eight skeletons were discovered by the Phillips brothers. The heads, presumably, the heads, presumably those of men, are much larger than heads of any race which inhabit America today. From directly over the eye socket, the head slopes straight back and the nasal bones protrude far above the cheekbones. 
They also misspelled nasal in the article. The jawbone, the jawbones, the jawbones are long and pointed, bearing a minute resemblance to the head of a monkey. The teeth in front of the jaw are regular molars. Oh, sorry, it continues on. I apologize. There were also found in the mounds the skeletons, presumably of women, which had much smaller heads, but it were in similar in facial characteristics. The skeletons were embedded in charcoal and covered over with layers of baked clay to shed water from the sepulcher. And from the New York Times article about the same excavation, skeletons with huge skulls uncovered in Lake Delavan. Today, 18 skeletons of a hitherto unknown race were found in a mound at Lake Delavan in southern Wisconsin. The skulls of the skeleton, those which were presumed to be the males, were unusually large. The various lengths of the skeleton uncovered were not revealed. Lake Delavan, New York Times, May 4th, 1912. So I apologize. The first one was from the local paper itself. The second one was from the New York Times. So again, we don't know what happened to these skulls. And again, I can't find any concrete photos or archaeological records about them or what happened to them. Here's what I think is true. The skeletons were found by a group of archaeologists at University Beloit College of Wisconsin. The Beloit College campus features 20 conical linear and animal effigy mounds built between about AD 400 and 1200. Many of the college mounds have been partly excavated and restored. Material found in them and other late woodland sites in that region, such as fragments of pottery and stone tools, are in a collection of the college's Logan Museum of Anthropology. Now, I got that directly from their website. They were part of these explorations. These Phillip brothers, or whatever their names were, yes, they implemented it. They started it backhoeing and pulling crap out. I don't know if it was a backhoe, but they started pulling stuff out, and then colleges and museums got involved to be like, whoa, 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 take it slow, let's see what we found here. So we know the who. We know why they were digging up these mounds, and based on reputable papers from the time, we know what they found. So that leaves us with where they went and why, and I guess who took them. Again, let me debunk some stuff. The reports that the skulls went to the Smithsonian, who were God-fearing, who were getting their money from the local church-fearing people and didn't want to upset the people at the time, well, the Smithsonian, again, this is BS, placed these giant skulls as well as others found around the world in a private storage area, just shelf after shelf of skulls and bones from giants. Now, they went on to destroy them at the Vatican's request. No, no, they didn't. There is no proof that they ever had them. They were never stored there are no real photos of shelf after shelf of giant bones in the Smithsonian. None. All the sources go back to the same BS material. It's very easy to debunk. It's very easy to prove that those photos are fake. Just like the million other photos of archaeologists excavating giant skeletons. There's all these really cool looking photos of like two or three archaeologists and they're dusting or whatever the hell they do with the little broom thing. Ginormous skeletons. Kurt here. Let me add, when I said giant skeletons, I mean skeletons of giants, not like dinosaur skeletons. Dinosaur bones are real. Dinosaurs are real. But there are these fake photos of archaeologists around these enormous human skeletons. 
like three, four times bigger than the archaeologist human skeletons. They've all been debunked. One was a photoshopped photo of real archaeologists around real whale bones in New York City, I believe. They replaced the whale bones with a photoshopped enlarged human skeleton. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, back to you, Kurt. They're great photos. I love looking at them as much as the next person, but they're all fake. They're all photoshopped, very easily debunkable. Now, there's also a story that in 1891, scientists from the Smithsonian Foundation found a giant skeleton in the excavations of the pyramidal tombs in the Madison area. Curiously, also in Wisconsin. All of those skeletons allegedly disappeared as well. No, none of that is true. The Smithsonian states they know nothing about any of them or any kind of oversized skeletons. Now, conspiracy theorists believe that the American government is hiding something and has no interest whatsoever to talk about a possible race of giants that inhabited the United States century ago. I am reading from Snopes in case you want to know where I'm getting this from. Why? Because on December 3rd, 2014, World News Daily Report published an article titled Smithsonian Admits to Destruction of Thousands of Giant Human Skeletons in Early 1900s. Now, in that article, the site reported that the Smithsonian Institute colluded with unspecified parties to suppress information proving the existence of giants. And the Supreme Court ruled in 2014 that documentation of the discovery be declassified in 2015. It goes on to say a U.S. This is all BS, by the way. It goes on to say a U.S. Supreme Court ruling has forced the Smithsonian Institute to release classified papers dating from the early 1900s that proves the organization was involved in a major historical cover-up of evidence showing giant human remains in tens of thousands that have been uncovered from all across America and were ordered to be destroyed by high-level administrators to protect mainstream chronology of human evolution at the time. How that does anything for the mainstream chronology of human... It's all stupid, never mind. The allegations stemming from the American Institution of Alternative Archaeology, AIAA, that the Smithsonian Institution had destroyed thousands of giant human remains, human remains during the early 1900s was not taken lightly by the Smithsonian, who responded by suing the organization for defamation and trying to damage the reputation of the institution. So, guess what? The earliest technically classified documents in the United States go back only as far as World War I, which America entered in 1917. So... Nope. Also, searches for the American Institution of Alternative Archaeology point back either to the same BS article I just read you or other BS pages referring to the BS article I just read you. That organization does not exist, or at least not at that time. Someone could have made it as a joke now, I don't know, but it's BS nonetheless. Prior to the First World War, the need to classify documents, as we would today, had not yet come to issue due to America's relatively then-isolated status, and such a measure would be even less likely to apply to an archaeological discovery. So there's a few debunkable, easily debunkable instances just on this story alone to prove that none of that happened. I didn't have to do the debunking, I just verified the debunking that Snopes had already done. I'm sorry, the Smithsonian has nothing to do with the destruction of giant skulls and skeletons. But, 
that still doesn't help us to find out where the hell these skulls, the specific ones from 1897 and 1912, where they went. Now, while I'm still on the Wisconsin skulls, let me tell you my theory, just mine. Based on the actual descriptions of the skulls themselves, it sounds eerily like a gorilla skull. Or, due to the size of it, a Sasquatch skull. Now stick with me for a second. There are numerous stories of the Native Americans living peacefully and interacting with what we now know as Sasquatch. So it's not too far-fetched that they would honor them and bury them just like they did other Native Americans. They lived side by side with the Sasquatch. Now I realize I have no proof for this, but the description makes sense. And like I said, there are numerous Native American stories about living with Sasquatch, so it kind of adds up. The description of the forehead, of the teeth, of the jaws, of the size, all sound like Sasquatch to me. Is that the reason they were hidden? I don't know. Why, where did these skeletons go to? Again, I don't know. It could theoretically be because of how religious people were at that time, and it really would upset a lot of people if they found giants. You know, however you want to say it, they found giant skeletons. Now, yes, I know about the Barnum, the Cardiff giant, the one that Barnum bought. In fact, I think I did a past episode about it. This isn't that. This is completely different. Barnum's body didn't fool half of the public, let alone archaeologists at the time. These skeletons, seemingly, based on newspaper articles written about them, were real. The fact that these Sasquatch skulls, or skeletons, if you want them to call them, I'll just call them a giant skeleton to make everybody happy. The fact that these giant skeletons also had Native American pieces around them, small pieces of copper. They had they had stuff in the burial mound with them. Again, leads me to believe that they were revered by the Native Americans. They were given a proper Native American burial for someone that is highly respected. Again, personally, I think this might be an early Sasquatch story, but I can't really prove it. Okay, with that, let's move on to other giants found around the world. Spoiler, I'm saving the best for last. From everything you've heard so far, there's another story just like it at the end. So stick with me here. So from there, let's move to 1988 and to Egypt for a story that needs to be taken with a grain of salt the size of the pyramids. Now I'm going to let you decide whether Gregor Spori was telling the truth or not. Okay, like I said, the year was 1988. Gregor Spori flew to Egypt to dive for Rex. He was a treasure hunter. And he wasn't above dealing with black markets to find his treasures. Allegedly. I'm not saying that. Other people have said that. Don't sue me. Well, while in Egypt, he had one goal that I loved. He wanted to be locked up for a night in the Great Pyramid of Khufu in order to conduct daring experiments alone and undisturbed. Hell yeah, man. I want that too. If anybody can get me to the Great Pyramid of Khufu and locked up for one night in there by myself... Yes, please. I would love to do that. I'd like to do it for two hours. I don't even have to be all night. It doesn't have to be all night at all. Give me two hours alone to explore the Great Pyramid of Khufu. Are you kidding me? Well, he went around telling everybody about this goal. And according to Gregor Spori, he met an old Egyptian grave robber. Depending where you get your information, 
he met an old Arabian grave robber in Egypt. It, it really kind of varies what this guy was, but everybody can seem to agree he was old and he was a grave robber. Now, this old man eventually showed Spory his own treasure at a cost. I'll get to that in a minute. That treasure was a finger chopped at the bone, right at the base of your hand. If you were to chop off your finger as far into your hand as you could, that's what this finger looked like. But it was no ordinary finger. It was huge, almost 15 inches long. That's right, 15 inches long. Now, the finger is gnarled. It's almost blackened. You can even see a fingernail in the photo, and on the different photo, you can see the bone sticking out the back. It's gross. Now, allegedly, Spory had to pay $300 just to take photographs of it. He says, It was an oblong package, smelled musty. He said, I was totally flabbergasted when I saw the dark brown giant finger. I was allowed to take it in hand and also take pictures. A bill was put next to it to get a size comparison. The bent finger was split open and covered with dried mold. So that's about all Spory really goes into on as far as the description of the finger. And apparently he left pretty quickly after that. Now when Spory came back, not only could he not find the old man, he couldn't find anybody that could lead him to that finger again. So all we have are a couple of photos and his story. Let me also say that Spory has since gone on to write some interesting books that he sells on Amazon. If you want to take a look at them, that's on you. Now let's stay in Egypt for just a little bit longer because there's also hieroglyphs found on the pyramids and they do seem to show rather large giants helping to build the pyramids. Again, grain of salt. In one specific hieroglyph on the tomb of Rechmire, R-E-K-H-M-I-R-E, now that hieroglyph shows a man carrying two square stones for the pyramid with a stick over his shoulder. So he's got basically one stick over his shoulder. On one end of the stick is this large square stone. And on the other end of the stick is a large square stone. He kind of has it over his shoulder. And he's just kind of walking along like it's no big deal. Well, the problem there is that the stones used to make up the pyramids are huge. They're bigger than a human. So no human could carry two over his shoulder or one over his shoulder or none at all because they were bigger than humans themselves. It is a very interesting hieroglyph. I don't know much about it other than that. And there's also something called the stone at Abu Ghurab, where it appears to have giants fingerprints or handprints on the stone itself. So did the giants help build the pyramids? Uh, probably not, but it's interesting to look at and think about. They're weird hieroglyphs and the stone looks kind of weird itself too. So the pictures of the finger and the stone of Abu Gharab and the hieroglyphs will all be on Facebook and on Instagram for you to look at. I'm not saying they're real. I'm just passing them along. Okay, from there, let's head over to Rome for a very quick one. The Roman historian Flavius Josephus reported in 79 AD, there were giants much larger and differently than normal people. Horrible to look at. Who has not seen with his own eyes, he cannot believe that they have been so enormous. And he seems to be talking firsthand, so again, I don't know what to make of it. It's very interesting, but it's also from 79 AD with nothing to corroborate it. Okay, 
let's pause and do some debunking. Because this next couple of things are BS. There are a number of websites out there that say on October 13, 1916, the Seattle Star reported that residents in northern Pennsylvania uncovered an Indian burial mound containing the bones of 68 men. According to the article, the average height of the assembled skeleton was 7 feet, while many were taller. Further evidence of the gigantic size was found in their large stone axes placed in the graves. Actually, the October 13, 1916 Seattle Star didn't mention anything like that. At all. I had to pay for that one. The next BS. In the fall of 1882, F.M. Fetty and his wife, both amateur archaeologists, were exploring a nearby cliff and found an unusual rock formation along the walls of the shelter. A closer look revealed that a false wall had been erected. Now, Fetty and his wife removed several of the large stones and made the startling discovery of a giant human mummy sitting in a chair. I can't find any evidence that this happened at all, that this was remotely true at all. More so, I can't find any evidence that F.M. Fetty ever existed. It seems to be a wives' tale that keeps getting regurgitated BS website to BS website. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Charleston Daily Mail to publish the following report on October 22, 1922. One of the most interesting of the five state parks is Mound Park at Moundsville, from which that city can derive its name. Probably no other relic of prehistoric origin has attracted as wide study among archaeologists as the Grave Creek's Mound, which has given up skeletons of the ancients who constructed it. Archaeologists investigating the mound some years ago dug out a skeleton said to be that of a female because of the formation of the bones. The skeleton was 7 feet 4 inches tall, and the jawbone could easily fit over the face of a man weighing 160 pounds. Seems pretty specific, but okay. So, I went to the Charleston Daily Mail. October 22, 1922. Nope. Read that one. That story is not there, not even remotely. I am sick of paying real money to read really boring old newspapers. Okay, now like I said, the story at the beginning, from the 1897 and 1912, really interesting. This next one, it cost me $10 to verify this newspaper article. And I have to say, that was $10 well spent, because I was sure it was fake. I was sure I was going to spend $10, flip through a really old newspaper talking about, you know, you feeling sick? Go get some heroin. That kind of bullshit. This one is true. And it's from the San Diego Union newspaper. August 5th, 1947. It's a page four article. Didn't even make the front page. And it says, Los Angeles, August 4th. A retired Ohio doctor has discovered relics of an ancient civilization whose men were eight or nine feet tall in the Colorado desert near the Arizona-Nevada-California line, an associate said today. Howard E. Hill of Los Angeles, speaking before the Transportation Club, disclosed that several well-preserved mummies were taken yesterday from caverns in an area roughly 180 miles square, extending through much of southern Nevada from Death Valley, California, across the Colorado River into Arizona. Hill said the discoverer is Dr. F. Bruce Russell, retired Cincinnati physician who stumbled upon the first of the several tunnels in 1931. Once again, this article is from 1947. 
And it goes on to say, soon after coming west and deciding to try mining for his health, he discovered several of the tunnels in 1931. Mummies found. Not until this year, however, did Dr. Russell go into the situation thoroughly, Hill told the luncheon. With Dr. Daniel S. Bovey of Los Angeles, or Bove, I don't know, who with his father helped open up New Mexico's cliff dwellings, Dr. Russell has found mummified remains, together with implements of the civilization, which Dr. Bove, or Bovey, has tentatively, had tentatively, placed at about 80,000 years old. These giants are clothed in garments consisting of a medium-length jacket and trouser extending slightly below the knees, Hill said. The texture of the material is said to resemble a gray-dyed sheepskin, but obviously it was taken from an animal unknown today. Markings discovered. Hill said that in another cavern was found the ritual hall of the ancient people, together with devices and markings similar to those now used by the Masonic Order. In a long tunnel were well-preserved remains of animals, including elephants and tigers. So far, Hill added, no women have been found. He said the explorers believe that they have found was the burial place of the tribe's hierarchy. Hieroglyphics, he added, bear a resemblance to what is known of those from the lost continent of Atlantis. Yes, I know. They are chiseled, he added, on carefully polished granite. He said, Dr. Viola V. Petit of London, who made excavations around Petra on the Arabian Desert, soon will begin an inspection of the remains. That's a real news article. A real page four news article from the San Diego Union, August 5th, 1947. Now, it wasn't followed up with the previous article was total bullshit. We added it for entertainment value. Nothing. Nothing even remotely like that. It was just a news article in a newspaper in 1947. A reputable newspaper, I might add. This wasn't the weekly world news of back then. This was a reputable paper who printed this. Why this guy says that he knows that the hieroglyphics bear a resemblance to what is known of those from the lost continent of Atlantis? I have no idea. Everything about this article is batshit crazy. And like I said, I was convinced that this article wasn't real. That it was never printed in 1947 in a reputable newspaper. Well, that was $10 well spent because what the fuck, man? Eight to nine foot tall from around 80,000 years ago with a Masonic Lodge kind of order to it and hieroglyphics from the lost continent of Atlantis? I have no idea what to think. This one almost broke me. I wanted to bunk everything about this, but I can't. I can say I can't find anything about a Dr. Daniel S. Bove, Bovey, whatever, or Dr. Veloa V. Petit. The names just sound fake. All of this just sounds fake. Now, maybe the newspaper was going into print and they had one little small section left and they were like, crap. We forgot about this article. Someone make up an article real quick and just throw it in there. Doesn't matter what it's about. Make up anything. It's page four anyway. No one cares. I don't know. I can't find anything about Dr. F. Bruce Russell, who is a retired Cincinnati physician. But this article, as batshit crazy as it is, is real. You can go to the archives yourself. You can read it for yourself if you doubt me. But it'll cost you 10 bucks. And trust me when I say... I spent the 10 bucks, I read the article, I then copied and downloaded the article, and I read it to you just now. I have no idea what to think of that article. With that, let me ask you this question. Do you think the discovery of giants 
would rattle what we know so much that it would destroy evolution as we know it? I think maybe back then in the 1897s or early 1900s or hell, even in 1947. Sure, it might. Now, though, I would like to think that we're scientifically minded enough that we can go, look what we found. Found a bunch of giants. I don't know what to make of them. I don't know where they came from or how they fit into evolution, but here we have it. What is it, giant pithecus? It's giant pithecus. That's something that's real. Is it just that? Did we find more of them? Who knows? Did a bunch of giants make their way over when humans made their way over to America and kind of live side by side with Americans or Native Americans or people for that matter, Homo sapiens? I don't know. Do you guys believe in giants? Let's start with that one. If so, what happened to them? And don't give me this whole Black Hawk Down helicopter story about them finding a giant in the desert of Iraq or whatever. That story's bullshit too. It's a great story, but it's bullshit, not even worth repeating. So what do you guys think? Are giants real? Is this news article real? I mean, it's legit, it's real, it actually was printed, but is the story itself real? What about the other ones from 1897 and 1912? They seem to kind of just be thrown in and then just never talked about again. And I get that that's kind of what happens with news stories today. You'll hear about something, then two weeks later, nobody's talking about it. But I would like to think, again, if we unearthed a giant today, somewhere out in the desert by Colorado, Arizona, California, that we would stop and go, biggest story of the year, let's talk about nothing but giants for the next few weeks. I would like to think we would do that. How do I go about debunking those kinds of stories? I would love to hear that too. If you guys have any suggestions on how I can debunk those kinds of stories, 1947 isn't that old. I should be able to find a relative or somebody from one of those people that investigate, or maybe even one of the people that investigated these weird, crazy giants from 80,000 years ago in Atlantis and all that crap. I should be able to find a Dr. Veloa V. Petit. That name is so made up. It's such bullshit. But it shouldn't be hard to find Viloa V. Petit or any of her relatives. Same thing with Dr. Daniel S. Bove. Bove. B-O-V-E-E. If you guys can find any relatives of Dr. Daniel S. Bove or Dr. Viloa V. Petit, I want to talk to them. I want to find out why these people were speaking before the transportation club and just happened to throw out all this weird, crazy bullshit about finding giant mummies, preserved elephants and tigers, crazy hieroglyphics. I, I need to know more about this. I need to find out more. I also want to know more about Dr. Veloa V. Petit of London, who made excavations around Petra on the Arabian Desert. I want to know more about her excavations and what she found, how she connected that to Atlantis. Because I've never heard that before either. So this story... Or this episode, I should say. This episode, I really thought was going to be me debunking everything. Because I debunked so much so quickly that I was like, oh, this story's fake. Nope, this story's fake. Nope, this story's fake. And I just kept going down the list. I mean, there was way more stories that I debunked. Way more. It got to the point where I was getting bored with debunking them. 
Then I found the 1897 and 1912 article. And then I found this 1947 article. And the whole world kind of crashed around me because I didn't expect to find this at all. I did not expect to find anything true about giant mummies being discovered. I thought they were all going to go the way of the Cardiff giant, the P.T. Barnum fake giant that I talked about a while ago. I really did. So, consider my mind blown about giants and my brain caving in because I don't know what to think anymore. Up is down, left is right, giants are real. Dr. Valoa V. Petit is telling the truth. I don't know. And with that, once again, I'm Kurt Sandig, and I've been your host of Paranormal Almanac. Hang on, hang on tight.